Dateline, May 29th, 2011. Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to the Australia Desk for episode 149 of the Airplane Geek Show. Steve Fisher back with you once again, and uh, Grant McCarran's on the other end of the line. Grant, let's kick it off with some some briefs, and let's actually make them brief this time, because, you know, we fail at that quite often. <laughs> I know, and we've got lots to talk about in the detail section, so keeping it brief, the RAAF have uh, sent the first F-111C to arrive in Australia, which was also the last F-111C to fly in Australia, and it's been sent by truck to the RAAF Museum at Point Cook here in Melbourne. Yeah, and unfortunately we couldn't make it down there that day. Unfortunately, work got in the way, which is a real shame. I would love to have seen that. Qantas slash Jetstar moves. Now, it looks like Qantas is trying to lock in their elite frequent flyers to counter Virgin's new moves. That's right. Virgin's pushing into the business market, so Qantas are trying to make it harder for those business people to even think of going anywhere other than Qantas. But uh, they're having problems over at Qantas anyhow because of their uh, ongoing pilots dispute, as we've been talking about recently. And uh, it looks like the pilots may actually go and strike for the first time in 46 years because Qantas just don't want to come to the table. They're saying it'd cost $317 million to meet the demands of the pilots. And if if uh, that's not bad enough for the Qantas group, Jetstar, <laughs> you know, which obviously Qantas is part of the Jetstar group, as we always say, Jetstar there pilots are looking at joining in as well. That's right. They're uh, having tussles with their management. They're, they have actually had a little bit of a win there, though, because Jetstar have decided to put the uh, permanent part-time contract pilots concept that it came up with. That has been put on hold. Oh, yeah, gee, poor Qantas. And uh, if that's not bad enough for them, it looks like over the last 10 years, their international market share is down to 19%. Not good for them. They're really getting punched now. Uh, but hey, you know, they have managed to roll the uh, self-check-in systems that they introduced in Qantas across to Jetstar. So fully self-managed check-in via SMS, smartphones, printing out your boarding passes, all that kind of stuff. It's now going to be possible to get from your home all the way through the airport, down to the gate and onto the plane. And the first Jetstar person you see may very well be the person welcoming you aboard. There may be people there to help you as you check in your luggage at these auto kiosks, but on the whole, aside from a uh, security check, you're not really going to have to interact with anyone because if you want to, you're going to have to pay. Hmm, sounds like they'd be getting that idea from Tiger Airways. (laughs) (laughs) Meow! Yay, Tiger Airways Group announces profit in Singapore, but not Australia. Yeah, it was interesting. They're they're talking up about how Tiger has made a profit, but it's all based on the uh, Singaporean international parent company. So uh, they've had some problems with uh, their earnings and also some problems with CASA giving them show cause uh, regarding their safety and performance and so on, which leads into the latest one that's come up, which is Tiger Pilots saying they're too fatigued. Yep, now this is uh, their uh, chief pilot, Captain Tim Berry, and he's been talking to a... uh, Australian government Senate inquiry that's been going on for quite some time into uh, air safety, uh, that there's been 17 cases of fatigue reported by crew and cabin staff since the start of last year. Uh, and he says, but that could be, quote unquote, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, they're saying it's 17 out of 76,000 sectors that have been flown. But the big problem is that it, people are saying they're too fatigued to fill in the uh, reports because they can't be stuffed saying that they're fatigued because they're too damn tired to say it. Yeah, and if you remember a few weeks back, actually Jetstar was having a similar trouble in, in, at the same Senate inquiry for much the same reasons over claims yes. of bullying by uh, uh, some of the uh, the powers that be at Jetstar to uh, make their pilots fly more even when they're fatigued so obviously well, that was, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing in fact fatigue was described to me once as the seven letter f-bomb interesting well it's it's also the uh that one that you mentioned about jetstar is the famous toughen up princess line that's been used to a few of the pilots that have been reporting it admittedly that were that came from another pilot um within jetstar it wasn't an official comment according to the powers that be but you know where the pressure is coming from that mate the pressure is definitely on everyone because of the uh, major steps that virgin australia 
Australia, X Virgin Blue, are now taking, and in fact, they've launched their first A330 from Sydney to Perth. Now, this really uh, signifies the start of a real quantum shift, I think, in the way that uh, Virgin Australia is going to be operated uh, compared to the way it was in its Virgin Blue iteration. Uh, one of the things they're doing, for instance, on their economy fares is they're actually offering food. Yeah, this is a, a whole new thing. They've restructured their fares to have three um, effective layers. There's going to be the saver, which is the cheapest fare, giving passengers the choice of pre-purchasing check baggage, allowance, the option to purchase in-flight entertainment, food, beverages, all that kind of stuff. And you can cancel up to 24 hours before your flight, although there may be fees. The next level is flexi. This includes food and beverage package in the fare price. So it'd be interesting to see how that one gets sorted out. But it also gives you priority check-in at all major domestic and international airports, up to 23 kilos of check uh, baggage or more if you're a Gold Velocity member. And it's fully flexible with no fees to change the time and date of your booking up to 24 hours after your scheduled departure. So you can actually wake up in the morning, realize you've missed your flight and reschedule. Another good thing that they've uh, signaled here at Virgin is that they're going to be looking at building a maintenance facility uh, in Sydney. And they think that'll create about uh, 300 jobs, according to uh, John Borghetti, their chief executive. So, uh, you know, that's really good. And that'll that'll play well in the media here. We've talked a lot here about Qantas offshoring uh, heaps of their maintenance everything. work. Yeah, everything, basically. So, uh, you know, this this could be, even though it's only 300 jobs, I mean, it's a good start. And if this, uh, if this comes to pass, it's going to play well for Virgin in many, many ways. Oh, you could have Virgin claiming they're more Australian than Qantas. Go figure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mate, it's it's interesting developments for Virgin. It's going to be great to see how they uh, develop this. They uh, The other fare structure they have in there was premium, and that is, of course, for the top-end business class that they've introduced. And, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they leverage catering for the business while also being able to uh, improve the game for the leisure travelers down the back of the plane, which they are claiming they're going to do. So all very exciting, but this, of course, assumes that the world continues to grow and that everyone wants to keep flying and so on. But if uh, occasionally we get the odd situation with things like the SARS virus or a bit of a terrorist incident or petrol prices going up and uh, people don't want to fly as much and there's a bit of a contraction and airlines have got this glut of capacity occasionally. So what do you think they're going to do with it, mate? Well, they're going to put it into storage. But where the heck would you put an aircraft into storage? What, Davis Monthan over in the US? Guess comes to mind as the first one. Ah, boring, boring. Been there, seen that. Oh, lucky you. I think there's a few others in the US and there's others starting up around the world but uh, have we got anything homegrown mate? Well it's funny you ask that Grant in fact we are getting our very own boneyard here in Australia way out at Alice Springs and for those of you who don't know well that's probably about smack bang in the middle of this country right out in the desert and uh, you know what an appropriate place to uh, to put a facility like this. Now we spoke to Tom Vincent this week from Australia Pacific Aircraft Storage and we started off by asking him uh, what brought him to the idea of uh, bringing such a facility to Central Australia? I think that the first uh, criteria was the climatic conditions. Um, it, it has to be a, a, an arid environment, uh, which is low humidity, and it basically preserves the aircraft. Uh, similar to those, again, facilities in the States, uh, out in the desert, Mojave, etc. The environment at Alice is, uh, is perfect for the long-term preservation of uh, metal, you know, so that aircraft out there, uh, there's no corrosion that you would get up uh, in further up in, in Asia or in, uh, on the sea, on the coast and uh, around the place. You're putting this one at Alice Springs, is that correct? Yes, based at Alice Springs, opposite the, the terminal there. So, you know, the second factor in deciding where to place the, uh, the facility was the infrastructure uh, Alice has a, a significant runway there, capable of taking. It's actually listed as a, an alternate emergency alternative for the uh, A380, uh, and they've had 747s operated out of there. I think uh, 
JAL uh, actually operated a, a weekly charter flight some time ago. It's not current, but uh, the, certainly the runway can accommodate uh, the large uh, Cody aircraft. What's actually involved in the process of storage? Uh, assume an aircraft has landed there, what steps does it go through before it can be considered to be stored? You have to go back to uh, looking at the time frame with which you want to place the asset into storage. It could be a, a short-term uh, parking for a number of weeks or a month or uh, uh, that sort of shorter span. Uh, the alternative is, is a deeper cycle, longer-term storage program. Um, and you have different maintenance requirements depending on how long the, uh, the aircraft will be placed in there. If it's short term, there's a lot more ongoing maintenance that's required to keep the aircraft operational. Alternatively, if it's going in for the deep cycle, a significant amount of uh, preparation that's done to uh, put it in its best condition uh, so that if they want to, they can reactivate the aircraft uh, further down the track. So that's an interesting point, Tom. When an operator puts an aircraft there, do they sell the aircraft to you? Do you lease them the space or is it a mixture of both? How does that work? Uh, no, at this stage what we're doing is uh, we're offering the space. So for want of a better word, it's, I guess it's a car park for aircraft. Um, in addition to the space, uh, we'll also, uh, depending on uh, the demands and, the, uh, and what our potential customers would like, you know, we'll have you know, ground support equipment that can be used and if you look at the maintenance aspect, uh, we ourselves, uh, we're not getting into the provision of maintenance at this stage. We are offering customers the ability to potentially do, uh, bring their own crew down. Uh, it would work particularly well for, for people who are uh, those uh, airlines that are operating domestically and had ground support uh, people, personnel that can perform maintenance. Uh, otherwise, we'll open it up and we've had discussions with uh, some third-party maintenance providers that would look after the aircraft. Interesting stuff there, Grant, and uh, great to see. I'm really encouraged by this because it's it's meaning that people are thinking, you know, you know outside the square when it, when it comes to uh, new industries in this country. Uh, there's always a lot of doom and gloom around, you know, about uh, watching a lot of Australian businesses going offshore. But uh, here, this is a really smart use of, uh, let's face it, a huge desert space, uh, you know, with the, with the right <laughs> levels of humidity and all that sort of stuff, why not? I think there should be more of it. Now, the uh, the full version of that interview went for about 18 minutes and that'll be in episode 65 of Playing Crazy Down Under. He says, doing a shameless plug for our humble little show, Grant. Oh, why not? Anyway, we really thank Tom Vincent for uh, spending some time with us on that interview and um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing how this comes off. Grant, I'm thinking we're going to have to dust off the cameras once there's some aircraft there and uh, take a trip out into the outback. Oh, definitely. And you know the best bit about it? We can bring the family along and uh, they can enjoy an Aussie outback holiday. You know, here's Rock, Alice Springs, all that kind of stuff. The casino. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, they could stay here in Melbourne for that. Uh, Well, you know, casinos. Excellent stuff. Well, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. We'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks.